0: I'd like to tell you about Milton Hershey, the one who first dreamed up the Hershey's Kiss. Milton Hershey uh, was born in Pennsylvania in 1857 to Mennonite parents, and he was raised on a farm. Uh, he only completed fourth grade. After fourth grade, he turned in his farm clothes, and at the age um, then at the age of 18, he uh, became an apprentice to a chocolate maker at the age of 18. And he learned the craft of making chocolate. He had a few false starts, and then basically he became a candy man. He started a company called the Lancaster Carmel Corporation, and he built that company up, and then he sold it for a million dollars, which was a huge sum of money in the mid-1800s. And uh, his heart was just not in caramel. It was much more in chocolate. And so Milton invested that fortune that he had made into a chocolate factory, and he researched chocolate. His idea was simple. He wanted to make the world's best tasting chocolate. At the conclusion of all of his experiments in making chocolate, he built the plant in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Anybody been there? Smells amazing. And, uh, you know, up until that point, milk chocolate was really a luxury, just like in Europe mainly, different parts of Europe. And Hershey, Milton Hershey's product, uh, was an immediate success, immediately took off. Something very interesting about Milton Hershey, he did not believe in advertising. So the company, all the way up until the mid-70s, did not advertise. His philosophy was this, if you make the world's best chocolate, word will get out. No need to advertise if you are really producing something that everybody craves. You could say, in a way, Milton Hershey's philosophy was similar to that of Jesus. In this way, Christ's focus was on product development too. Produce people with renovated hearts. Produce people whose lives are bursting with joy and peace and humility and justice and love. And you produce those kind of people, and other people want in. When you have that, other people want it too. Author Dallas Willard makes a very compelling case that authentic transformation or what he would call Christian spiritual formation is the core mission of the local church that that is the core mission of the local church that the best way to do outreach is to do an outstanding job of inreach the renovation of hearts that turns people, wherever they are, into lights, a light on a hill in a darkened world. So if making a quality kiss of chocolate got the attention of the world without advertising, just imagine what making quality followers of Christ might do in the world. People whose lives are bursting with love and joy and humility and power. But here's the thing. Following Jesus has often been reduced to what some people have called easy believism. That being a Christian is often understood to be basically about the minimum entrance requirements to get into heaven when you die. In other words, it's like, believe these things, check this box, Say this prayer, and then, like, bada-boom, bada-bing, hashtag saved. (laughs) And this has produced, like, nominal Christianity, where basically we we settle for an experience of God rather than life with God. We settle for an experience of Jesus rather than being apprenticed by Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus never said, pray this prayer so that you can go to heaven when you die. Jesus did talk an awful lot about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And a kingdom is that place where the will of the king and the will of the subject are one. So the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of Susie. The kingdom of Susie is wherever my will be done. The kingdom of God is wherever God is king. And Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. Jesus taught that there is this kingdom, and you and I can live in it now. It's not an add on to your life, it's not an experience that you seek occasionally. It's a completely new platform, a total exchange life, an interactive apprenticeship. where on the daily we are learning to die and be raised to new life with Him. Being apprenticed by Jesus is how we're learning to live in light of the fact that we will never stop living. Apprentice, apprenticeship to Christ is, it's not learning facts about Jesus. It's not learning some magic phrase. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. It's a total transfusion. It's the process of allowing Jesus' thoughts to become ours, his emotions to become ours, his will to become ours, his relationship skills to become ours. So just for fun, would you repeat this phrase after me? I am one. In whom Christ dwells and delights. And I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I live. in the unshakable kingdom of God. God. We borrow these words from a fabulous uh, quote by James Bryan Smith. He goes on to say, the kingdom of God is not in trouble, and neither am I. To be apprenticed by Jesus is to learn to live in the kingdom of heaven. And when we learn to live in this kingdom... Our lives look different. This morning, we're briefly just going to talk about three ways in which your life looks different when you are apprenticed to Jesus, learning to live life in the kingdom of God. One has to do with hurry, one has to do with fear, and one has to do with Jesus. So, first of all, when I'm being apprenticed by Jesus, learning to live in the kingdom of God, I do not hurry. In fact, I want, I wish, and want that every single one of us would go away from this place today and never hurry again. Hurry is always an expression of anxiety, a sign of a deeper problem. If you are not experiencing your yoke as easy and your burden as light, Then you are bearing some other burden, but it is not the burden of Christ. It's a heart problem. Because if my truest identity, if your truest identity is that you are a never ceasing spiritual being, you have all the time needed. If the truest thing about you is that you are a never ceasing spiritual being, then you and I have far more time than we can imagine. See, a lot of times we think the most uh, powerful cure for burnout, the thing that we need is a vacation or a sabbatical. The true cure to burnout is wholeheartedness. It's when you and I step out from under the weight and expectations of the world and get in step... With Jesus in the kingdom of God. Walking to a Trinitarian beat with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not, the cure is not get a good vacation or take a little break. When I'm living in the kingdom of God, I do not hurry. Think of Jesus. Jesus was never in a hurry. I mean, he waited for millennia to show up in the flesh spent his first 30 years pursuing what some would consider like a dead-end job. Then he spent three years of his life, his entire career, camping out with his friends. (laughs) When his best, one of his good friends dies, he shows up two days late. Jesus was never in a hurry. James Bryan Smith says this, the most important Aspects of our lives cannot be rushed. We cannot love, think, eat, laugh, or pray in a hurry. When we are in a hurry, which comes from overextension, we find ourselves unable to live with awareness and kindness. Here's the thing. Each week... Contains the same amount of hours for all of us. You have 168 hours in your week. If you divide that up into three chunks, you'll see you have 56 hours in three sections. If you sleep on average eight hours a night, that is 56 hours of sleep in your week. If you work, eight plus commute, 56 hours of work. And then, get this, you have 56, yeah, 56 marvelous hours every week to play, relax, exercise, connect with friends. What if you and I were to map out an ideal schedule for ourselves, and here's my suggestion, start first with sleep. And just say, 56 hours. 56 hours of sleep, eight hours per day. And then second, what if you were to add in play and recreation every day, putting in time for friends and family and exercise and just wasting time with God? And then schedule work last, up to 56 hours. Here's the thing. We can abdicate and be lazy letting others write our life or we can order our days for maximum joy and contentment and satisfaction in God. So maybe this afternoon, if it would be meaningful to you, map out your ideal schedule. Start with sleep, then do play, and then do work last. When I'm being apprenticed by Jesus, the next thing is, when I'm living in his kingdom, I am unafraid. You know, I, um, I would say I've never considered myself to be a very fearful person, and then I had children. <laughs> like I used to always think of myself as a very confident and kind of on the bell curve, like a risk taker, not very fearful person. And then I had children, and uh, I remember, you know, I couldn't even leave the hospital without what seemed like, you know, like a 2,000-point safety check on the car seat. And then I got home, and I started putting, like, outlet covers on all the outlets in the house, and then, uh, you know, the drawers. I was making all the drawers safe, you couldn't open them unless you had the little magnet. And... uh, Everybody has fears in different places because while I'm safety-proofing my life, Tim has our newborn in the garage learning how to use an axe. So, (laughs) how does an apprentice of Jesus deal with fear? Because it's real. And there's no value in ignoring it, minimizing it, pretending it doesn't exist, excusing it. Let's be gentle with ourselves when emotions like fear come in and get curious, like we talked in a couple series ago. Oh, hello, fear. I see you there. Jesus, what would you want to say to me about this fear? This is what it means to be apprenticed by Jesus. One time Jesus was teaching, and he said this, Therefore I tell you, to your life. This past week, I was introduced to an author by the name of Jason Green. And Jason, uh, this is a picture of Jason, his wife Stacy, and their daughter Greta. Jason suffered, uh, Jason and Stacy suffered an unbelievable tragedy. Their daughter, when she was two years old, was out sitting on a bench with her grandma, near their home and a piece of masonry fell and hit their two-year-old and she died. And Jason writes this book about grief, about sitting in non-denominational Shiva, about overcoming fear, And one of the most powerful parts is their decision to have another child. Can you imagine the fear as they welcome their secondborn into the world after this horrific tragedy? And he says something very profound about fear. What he says is this, your fear never serves your child. There is no way in which your fear serves your child. He said, you know, their journey is just like a magnified journey of what all parents have to come to realize, which is this, your fear is meaningless to your child. Your fear does not save your child from experiencing anything. There is no way in which your fear serves them. And see, we all have this choice. When we experience fear, it's important that we acknowledge it. It's part of being human. Hello, fear. I see you there. Jesus, what might you want to say to me about this fear? Now, here's the thing. Whenever I am afraid, somewhere in that It's revealing a lack of love. It might be overstated, but it is still true. Perfect love casts out all fear. So when I experience hurry, when I experience fear, it is data to me that I am not living in the unshakable kingdom of God. Because we all experience fear. Our world is full of danger. And our world is full of things to fear. And yet, our world is full of wonderful things. And our world is full of love. And he says, our love will make a path even if our love terrifies us. He says, parenting... I thought this was so profound, is about giving kids the freedom to learn to manage their own fear without managing ours. To make them believe that the world is a big place and yes, there are dangers within it and it is a welcoming place. Yes, there will be darkness and there will be more light. And we are human, so of course we experience fear. But at the same time, as we are apprenticed by Jesus, as we live life in the kingdom of God, we become utterly anchored and increasingly unafraid. That is what it means to live in the kingdom of God because I am one, I am one, in whom Christ dwells and delights. And And I live live. in the unshakable kingdom of God. God. You know, Jason Green, he tells this story about how just a couple days after their daughter died, he's running in the park, and he sees her standing behind this tree where she used to poke her head out when they'd play hide-and-seek. And he said he went over, and he picked her up, and he held her, and he spun her around. And he said, I'm so glad that you're in this park of ours. And then he said this about that experience. He said, those kind of experiences they don't belong to belief. Because you aren't asked to believe. You are simply overwhelmed. Belief, he said, implies a series of rational choices, and that's not what happened. Now, most of Christianity in the West has been focused on a series of rational choices. Certainly, belief is important. Certainly, orthodoxy is important, but the ancients, the authors of the Bible, the Christian mystics, the Apostle Paul, spoke of a process of apprenticeship that begins with communication, moves to communion, and leads us to union with God. The Apostle Paul, he had one consuming theme in his, in his writings. If you said the theme of Jesus' writings is the kingdom of God, the theme of the Apostle Paul's writings is this. 164 times Paul makes reference to either being in Christ or Christ being in us. So apparently the Apostle Paul believed there was something even more important and more transforming than just knowing the moral teachings of Jesus, as important as that is. It was this great mystery revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's like there is this present possibility of entering into union with Christ, and that is like the epicenter of authentic human existence. That's the core. So when we're apprenticed to Jesus, when we're living in the kingdom of God, there is no hurry. There is no fear. And we begin to look and act like Christ. So We like to make excuses, don't we? Like uh, one of the unique challenges I think we have today in kind of our Myers-Briggs Enneagram world is that it is easy to say, well, I'm a three, so that's why I'm busy. I'm a one, that's why uh, you, you shouldn't take it personally when I say harsh comments. Or I am an INTJ and so that is why I am just not very relational. And these tools, I mean, they're awesome tools. I love these tools. Personality profiles are great for self-discovery. And they can be used for self-deception. If we hide behind the challenges of our personality types as if we're destined or doomed to just be whatever that number says we are. No. As you and I are apprenticed to Jesus, as we learn to increasingly live in the unshakable kingdom of God, we begin to look and act like Jesus. Back in the day, medieval apprenticeship, it was a system of immersion, total immersion, learning from the master, learning in an intentional, experiential way, not just learning facts about the master, but learning how to imitate the master. So think about this. Jesus is like the master for the craft of life. Apprenticing ourselves to him means reorganizing our lives around the things that he did and taught. It means learning to be with him throughout the day. Dallas Willard says this. God created us for intimate friendship with himself both now and forever. So how does a person become apprentice to Jesus? By living in ongoing conversation with God, speaking and being spoken to, by doing the next right thing in love with him, until eventually, over time, we observe that He is doing. The next right thing in love through us. Let's pray together as we close. Would you take a moment, maybe, to just thank God for dwelling and delighting in you? Would you take a minute to thank God that Charlie's guitar is okay? <laughs> God, when you speak with gentleness to us, may we not ignore you. When you speak direct, With nudges, may we move with ease towards you. God, when you declare your love for us and your delight in us, may we not squirm away. When you offer good gifts, may we receive them wholeheartedly with gratitude And when you delay the answers, may we wait with hope. God, would you help us resist that urge to sprint ahead in hurry or lag behind in fear? Let us keep company with you at a walking pace moving forward together with you, Jesus, one step at a time. You are for us. You are with us. You are within us. Christ before, Christ behind, Christ above, Christ below, Christ within. We marvel at you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And everybody said, amen.